So today is a very significant day in the life and history of Cornerstone Church of Boston. Uh, it's July 31st, meaning tomorrow is August 1st. And each August 1st marks a shift for us. It's the, you may or may not know, it's the shift of our ministry year, which aligns with our fiscal year. So it's kind of like our New Year's Day of, set, of, a, of sorts. And that usually means new budget, maybe some new leaders stepping up, shuffling of folks. As Pastor Bill mentioned, it means the, very soon there's going to be the, the hustle bustle of the fall launch with new people coming and new students and life and energy being brought to Boston. And this year it means a lot of that, but it also means a lot more than that. So tomorrow will be the beginning of a new fiscal year for our church, but it's also a fiscal year with probably our largest financial deficit that we've ever projected in our church's history. Tomorrow will be the beginning of a completely new leadership team, which with no returning members from the previous year, which is very rare for us. Tomorrow will also be a huge shift in the makeup of our pastoral staff. It'll officially be Pastor Hojin's moving on day, and it'll also be my moving on day as, as stepping down from no longer being the college pastor after six, seven years. Not to mention, we're still experiencing a lot of the ripple effects of the changes and the transformation that's happened because of COVID and the droves of Cornerstone friends and family of ours who have moved away. You know, back in the day when we were in this building, we used to fill that back area, we used to fill the balcony, and clearly it's, it's a lot different. So I promise I didn't show up with the plan of depressing everybody today. In fact, it's quite the opposite. My goal is actually to encourage us all. But I start with naming these things because I feel the responsibility as, as one of the pastors here is to name our concerns and fears and also to be transparent with all of you to say that I actually have those concerns and fears as well. But there was a shift for me that happened with the Holy Spirit shepherding me. And it was when I, the shift was when I stopped responding emotionally, just responding to the circumstances, responding to everything that was changing, and I started reflecting on what God was doing. See, response mode and reflection mode are two completely different beasts. In response mode, my emotions would change by the hour, by the day. Every time something happened, every conversation, response mode, I am just a buoy in the middle of the ocean and the waves come and I'm this way and I'm that way and I'm just bobbing, being thrown all about. Reflection mode is really different. Reflection mode is careful processing. Reflection mode is not a buoy bouncing and, and just being tossed by the, by the wind and the waves. Reflection mode is being tethered to an anchor, Jesus Christ, that is secure and immovable. Response mode is me thinking as a man through my minuscule, worldly, human lens. Reflection mode is me thinking of as a son of God through the lens of our God, our Heavenly Father. So today, my goal is, in terms of a typical sermon, we're kind of flipping the order of events here, as what you're probably used to. So I'm going to start with reflection mode with me, and I'm going to invite you all to join me in that, to shift from response mode, because I think a lot of us are still there. If you're new, you don't really have an emotional attachment to what's been changing here, but maybe you're in response mode and figuring out whether you want to be here for the future. You're kind of, like, kind of you know, going through the, oh, what, did I like that? Did I not? Do I want to be here? But for a lot of you old-timers, you're definitely, you're definitely still in re re response mode because a lot has been stirred up in your soul. And maybe your body is still here, but you're not really sure whether your heart is. So I'm inviting all of us to 
do this together this morning, to be in reflection mode and to tether our hearts to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to start with that, with the reflections, and then we'll end actually with God's word and what that means for us and our charge for us today. When I was in college, uh, I studied psychology and communication, and in psychology classes, in one of my, my social psychology class, I'll never forget one of the lectures that I had where the professor went, spent the whole hour just talking about how similar human beings are, but how much we put a giant magnifying glass and how we're different. So the professor went into all the science and spent like nerding out an entire hour about how uh, similar human beings are. If you look inside of us, we're like, barely any difference between each human being. And like scientists will nerd about how we're just carbon copies of each other. But then socially, you take something as actually really, really small as let's say skin color, pigmentation, tone. And now human beings, because of something that small, we think, oh, we have nothing in common. We're so different. A part of our psychology tells us that things are so, so different when they can be 99 point something percent the same. When I started reflection mode, I realized, and I, and I tethered my heart to Jesus and seeing things through his eyes, I started to realize I've been doing that with Cornerstone in the past few months. I found myself routinely saying and thinking, oh my gosh, everything is so different. I've said things to people who've been calling or one-on-ones over coffee, man, Cornerstone is unrecognizable. I used that word many times. But I realized that was just response mode. Reflection mode gave me a step back to realize we are way more the same than we are different. And for you longtime members, we are so much more the church that you fell in love with and committed to than we're different. And those of you who are new here, usually people who come here, are, they heard from a friend. Their cousin who went to BC in 20, 2008 used to go here or a friend of a friend or someone dragged you along and in that church that you heard about from somebody we are way more the same than we're actually different so what are the common denominators as I reflect in reflection mode why do I feel like we are more the same today than we're actually different so we're almost 20 years old and in those 20 years what are the common denominators firstly is that God is our provider and he constantly comes through in moments of crisis. This is a common denominator I see in our entire history. Because the size of our congregation has shrunk so much in the pandemic, it's no surprise that our giving has dropped significantly too. And as I mentioned earlier, we have a very serious financial deficit. We need to make changes. We need people to generously give. It's, it's alarming and it's, and it's very concerning. But did you know that back in between 2010 and 2011, it was around six years after planting Cornerstone, which is usually the timetable for church plants to either fail and die or press on, Cornerstone was projecting a huge deficit that we'd never seen before. So much so to the point that the leadership team of that time had to actually create and prepare a, a plan for how to close a church well. How, what do we do with all the assets? What do we do with, the finance, with all of our equipment? How do we sell that off? What do we do with our savings account? They felt they needed to be prepared to close, a, preparing to close the church being a very real possibility. Many of you probably don't know that. And that obviously didn't happen. But did you also know that since then, fiscal year after fiscal year after fiscal year, after we thought we were gonna close the doors, the budget continued to increase. 
And so much so that we started saving. Isn't that crazy? We started having excess to put into savings account. So we experienced a looming fear of running out of money before, and what came out of that was a healthier budget than ever before, and a savings increase, a savings that we're actually going to be using tomorrow, today. The common denominator for our church is financial fear and financial insecurity, worry. But the common denominator is also a providing God who gives us everything that we need for today and for tomorrow, who's proved himself that he doesn't freak out when we do, that he provides for his church because it is his bride whom he loves. That's a common denominator I see. A second common denominator I see is that God is our rock, immovable rock, unchanging rock and foundation in a transient and transition period when everything else seems like it's not the same. If there's anything that's exactly the same from day one in September 2004 of Cornerstone Church to today is that we are a transient church made up of transient people in a transient city and demographic. For our entire history, we've had 90% or more people made up of this congregation who are not from Massachusetts or do not intend on staying long term in Massachusetts. You were here for a time, a very set period of time with an expiration date because you're here for school or program or temporary job or whatever, or while you're young, but once you want to start a family, you move away. And this is not just at the congregation level, it's all the way up, pastor, pastoral level, leadership level. Cornerstone has plenty of pastors coming in and out of our church, and each time with, you know, the natural sadness and fear and what are we going to do? When our founding senior pastor left, some of you were here, a few of you, Everyone thought that the sky was falling. We were doomed. Those of you who were here, you, maybe you don't remember. Those of you who weren't here, you don't know. It was not a smooth passing of the baton. You might assume that founding pastor was going and then Pastor Bill here, and it was like perfect. We had a full year. He said he started in July. Our founding pastor left in July. One full year of no senior pastor. And everyone thought that it was going to fall apart. Surely the church would suffer. Surely people would leave. Surely no newcomers would come. If I told you, hey, find a new church next Sunday, would you go to a church without a senior pastor? Probably not. But guess what? People kept coming. Our members who are here committed even stronger with more uh, uh, fervent, fervency. And the church kept pressing on admission. As of tomorrow, I'm going to be stepping down as the third college pastor in Cornerstone's history, and barely anybody in this room can even name the other two. There have been so many former pastors at Cornerstone right now, and they, the only way people know them is trivia questions at FNF or retreat. Somebody creates a Jeopardy game, and the category is Cornerstone history. Cornerstone history for 200. Who was the first college pastor at Cornerstone? That's the only way you know his name. And I don't say this in a sad way, I say this in a joyful way. One day, Bill, Linda, Hojin, and Danny, we will be trivia questions to the congregation that's still around. Because Cornerstone doesn't need us. Cornerstone has not been founded upon the people who work here, but on the rock, Jesus Christ, who will be the same unchanging foundation no matter how much the faces in this room do. Cornerstone will continue to press on in mission because Jesus is our rock. Third, 
common denominator is since day one till today, and I believe till forevermore, God is our Father, our Father. I use that, like, please don't hear Christian jargon. I really mean Father in drawing, loving children together. Last August, I did something that was very unlike me, very, not a common denominator. I willingly chose to do something I hate to doing. I hate to do. Hate to doing? I speak English, I promise. I hate doing. I went running. And not only did I go running, I went running by my choice, and I went running for a long time. So all these things, it's like, oh my gosh, like was I on something? I don't know. But I decided last August I wanted to run the history of Cornerstone Church. So I mapped out all the locations that we met in, in our almost 20-year history. And I invited a bunch of people to run with me. And of course, 20 of them all said yes. So we, no. They all said no, except for two people, because why would anybody want to do that? And so this is what we ended up doing. Take a look at this map here. We started all the way up there in Arlington. Some of you don't even know what that is. You think it's a different state because you just live in Alston and that's all you know. Arlington is a town up there. It's not that far. And then we ran all the way down this little black path, ended up right out there outside those stairs that you came into today. The starting line was this. Ready, set, kids, daycare center in Arlington, Massachusetts. 99.9% of you have never been in here because it was our streaming site. Still in the middle of the pandemic, no one's allowed in. Remember when we used to temperature check our foreheads? This was our site where we finally found a place that would allow us to set up our cameras and film. And all of you were at home watching on Zoom or on YouTube. We set up our streams here. And we did this for a good number of months, and it was a great place for us to at least have a streaming site. Then, oh, this was our starting point, so we looked good, right? And then we started getting a little sweaty. We ran down Mass Ave, which led us to Graham and Parks Elementary School. This is in Porter Square, Cambridge. Cornerstone used to have a 9 a.m. morning service here when we actually were two sites at one point. And this was an elementary school, and we went in the auditorium, and it was the weirdest site that we probably ever had because the elementary school auditorium was decorated like school plays. So you would have kids' drawings of like, I don't know, like West Side Story or something in the background while the preacher was preaching. It was very distracting, but it was our home for a little while. Continue to run down Mass Ave. If you're a red line taker, you know where I'm going. It's Central Square, Cambridge to the YWCA. Day one, first location in Cornerstone's history. The very home that we had where service after service, people, young people started packing in, and we outgrew the space pretty quickly, and we moved on. This isn't in chronological order, but our next stop, Red Line, you know where we're going? Kendall Square Cinema, our home of just a few months ago, and we're starting to get tired, as you can see, and sweaty. This is a lot of running, where this, I didn't really love being here, but this place has a very sweet spot in my heart because this was a return of in-person services after not being able to be together. You are sitting next to people right now. Remember, we couldn't do that for so long. And Kendall Square Cinema opened up their doors for us, and we were finally able to be together in service, as opposed to being quarantined at home. From here, we ran over the Longfellow Bridge. We're dying at this point a little bit. You gotta forgive the explicit nudity. Actually, can you go back, Johnny? Yeah, right here, okay. Children, look away. This is a rated R. Where we ended up at Church of the Covenant Newberry Street, which is just 
that way, like four or five blocks, maybe half a mile, you've definitely walked by when you've gone shopping, where Cornerstone really made a name for itself, where it started to grow and expand, having buzz with all these young people coming, college students flocking from all over the place in, in this building, this historic church, where so much of, yeah, Cornerstone really made a name for itself, where so many young people would find their spiritual home, whether it be for their college season or beyond. And now we're really getting tired and sprinting the final leg to outside these doors where all of the clothes is coming off <laughs> to our longest home ever, pre-pandemic and now our temporary home again for, our remaining, for another year before we find our next one. I don't really know what came over me. The longest run I've ever run was a 5K. And this day we ran about 10 miles. And we just picked up and just did it. But for me, when I think about why did I do that, I mean, so much has happened to our church. Maybe I had a little bit of indoors restlessness. There's the fun challenge aspect of doing it with friends. I don't know. But one thing I definitely do know is I wanted to experience and reminisce, relive the old memories of what the pandemic seemed to just like strip away all of a sudden. To look at the old buildings, to remember the good times of all the things that happened. And you know what the common denominator was at all of these locations? You know what would fill my memory and my heart as we took a break, we stopped and took a selfie? The people. The people. God bringing such wonderful people from around the world and around the country. And then Packing us all into these random buildings that aren't even, well, I guess Church of the Covenant was church, but like not even buildings that we own, just random spaces that would have us. And where a bunch of strangers would end up as family. Not once as we stopped in all these places that I wonder, what was the thing that went wrong here? Was this the place where our budget was the worst case? How big was the praise team? Was it big with full of Berkeley students the way we like it? Or was it small? I didn't once think about our size and how many chairs had butts in them. I didn't think about any of that. I thought about the people, the family, the friendships, the common denominator that has made Cornerstone beautiful for almost two decades now have been the loving relationships that have blossomed and bore fruit for the kingdom of God. The relationships of people whose greatest commonality was their love for Jesus and then their love for each other. And out of this, we literally became a family. So many of these like, strangers turned into friends. Then they moved in together and became roommates. A lot of those things even turned into coworkers because they loved each other so much they would refer each other to their own company, to their jobs. Those turned into, a lot of things turned into marriages, and a lot of these kids are corner, made in cornerstones, tattooed on their back. I looked at our family ministry roster as I was preparing this message. Majority of these married couples and kids were made in cornerstone. We literally turned into family. And I can't count how many people leave Boston and they text, and they say how much they miss cornerstone. I've never once heard them say, oh my gosh, I miss the preaching so much. I've heard a lot of the time saying, I miss the preachers, the pastors who cared about us, who met with us and cried with us and hugged us and stood with us. 
I've never once heard somebody say, oh my gosh, I wish my current church had small group material like Cornerstone does. But I've heard a million times, I miss the people who are in my small group with me, in the circle, in that living room that they opened up. I've never once heard somebody say they miss the building, as opposed to the people who are in the building that made it special. See, when I reflect, it's clear that we have all these common denominators, and they still exist today. We've been here before, and so my charge and my request to each one of you, if you're here with us, is be this generation's common denominator. Be the people that make this season of Cornerstone special as a loving family through your commitment so that the next generation will be able to look back and say the same thing. And for how we do that, we're going to look to God's word in Ephesians 4. Real quickly, a note on Ephesians, it's just in two halves essentially. First half, chapters 1 through 3, is Paul just explaining God's plan of redemption through his son Jesus Christ. Second half, verses 4 through 6, is his manual, how to be the church 101. Be the church for dummies. It's simple as that. That's how you can read Ephesians. If you want to know how do I serve my church best, Ephesians 4 through 6, and you're good. It's right there. And so we're going to be reading that today. How can you be this generation's common denominator? It's right here. Ephesians 4, starting verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If you want to be the common denominator, if you're here with us and you want to love this church and love this people, Ephesians 4 is where we look. And in a nutshell, Paul is telling the church to do two things. And he, first, though, he says it's our calling. Before we get to the two things, it's our calling. 
And in, in English, you know, I don't like the fact that we use calling like 20 different ways because it, it complicates it. But let, just to make it clear to you, this is a shared, foundational, unchanging calling. Not like your job calling in the time or maybe calling to be a parent in the season and then grandparent. You know, we have a lot of callings that change. This one that Paul is talking about is permanent has n- and it's universal. It has nothing to do with your gift set. It's different than my gift set. It's for all of us. You already have it. And it's to do this. One, fulfill your ministry. He says it in repetition. And even in more repetition, he says, fight for unity. Church 101. Fulfill your ministry. Fight for unity. Fulfill your ministry. Paul writes that God has given grace to each uh, person as Jesus has apportioned it. He equips all his people with different types of roles for the purpose of the body of Christ being built up. That is why you are given any gift or skill or anything so you can build up the church. He says that each part, each of us is a part of that body. Jesus is the head and we grow as each part does its job. Friend, if you're here, if you're here with us, I'm humbly asking you to fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your calling. One marker of growing in your faith. We, we complicate, Am I, I'm growing, I groaned, are you growing, are you fighting to grow, blah, blah, blah. What is growing? I think in the simplest sense, in the biggest sense, if you want to be a more mature Christian who's growing, is you love Jesus more, right? Very simple. But if you love Jesus more, you treasure his bride more. That's the church. So if you are a growing Christian, if you want to be a growing Christian, it's loving Jesus and his bride more. And the way that we do that is simply fulfilling our ministry calling that has already been placed upon each and every single one of us. How do you do that? There's a variety of ways. Obviously serving, giving, committing, signing up, showing up, responding, connecting, reaching out. All those things in the life of the body is you fulfilling your ministry. And I don't mean this in a harsh way, but maybe in a direct one. If you are just a spectator, you are shirking your calling. Some of you are just passing through, and this message, it doesn't mean anything to you cornerstone-wise, but you're going to end up back at home in church or wherever. Do that there. It's all the same. We can't be spectators and say that we're growing in our faith or loving Jesus, because he would say, love my bride then. And we do that by fulfilling our ministry. Secondly, fight for unity. Man, does Paul talk about this a lot. He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He talks about how we treat each other, how we need to stay one. In Jesus, this is what he prays for right before he dies on the cross. In John 17, Jesus Christ himself prays this, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I wonder how different this world would be if every Christian prayed and saw it as their calling to fight for unity as opposed to fighting each other. How different would the world be today? Think about the original church. You didn't have to explain much when you said you were a Christian, right? 
Oh, you're one of those, you were a former Jew, but now you call yourself something else. Oh, you, you follow the Jesus of Nazareth guy. That's pretty clear. Today, think about how specific you have to get when you say you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, are you Catholic or Orthodox? Pro- uh, oh, you're Protestant. Are, from where? Are you Anglican or Episcopalian? American? Oh, you're, uh, oh you're, are you Methodist or Baptist? PCUSA, PCA, ECC, ECO, EPC, ABC, Elemental P? Which one? Oh, you're not part of any of those. You're non-denominational. There's plenty of those. So what's your theology then? Are you Arminian? Are you Calvinist? Oh, non-denominational, but you're part of a network. Those are cool. TGC? Which one? Acts 29, Sovereign Grace? What are you? Why do all these things exist? I'm not knocking denominations. I'm glad to be a part of one. But think about how spread apart and disunified we have become. Because when the church undergoes conflict, change, fear, disarray, it's in every single one of us to be able to respond with disunity. With disunity. We start grumbling or gossiping or slandering or disconnecting or walking backwards. We're cutting off. It's in all of us. It's in all of church history. We've seen it a million times. Let's not add to that history. Let's not add to that history. Let's be different. Let's be the church that when conflict changes, fear and disarray shows up, we start getting on our knees and saying, Heavenly Father, Make us one. What if we did that? Listen to this word, Cornerstone. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond in peace, of peace. And the reason why the church exists today, the reason why any of us have this relationship with God, the any reason why any of us are here is because Jesus did exactly this. Jesus Christ took on flesh, became God incarnate, came down to earth. He fulfilled his ministry and he fought for unity. In fact, he died for unity. His death on the cross, the spilling of his blood, his faithful obedience to his father, what it purchased was reconciliation. Reconciling two parties that were at war with each other. Scripture says that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We were enemies with God. But Jesus died for unity so that now we are called family. We are his sons and daughters. We are one. He had a calling and fulfilled it perfectly so that you and I no longer are at odds with God or bearers of his wrath. In fact, we are heirs to the inheritance. There is treasure waiting for you in heaven. There is a God who loves you perfectly no matter how much you screw up. And it's because Jesus fulfilled his ministry. He fought and died for unity. And he's asking the church to be like him. To mirror him. To do the same. This, if this happens, this is when you and I will observe the gospel power at work at Cornerstone Church of Boston. Open, let's open up our hearts together and let the gospel transform us and then work through us. 
When I was in seminary, I took a church planting class. And for a class uh, assignment and presentation, we had to pretend that the church that we were attending at the time, that we were going to plant it tomorrow and just pitch it to the class. And the class would give feedback. And we would just go through the experience of what it's like to potentially planting a church. And I was at Cornerstone at the time. So I went up in front and I talked about Cornerstone. I said, hi, everybody. It's like Shark Tank. Like, my name is Danny, and I'm going to start a church tomorrow called Cornerstone Church of Boston. We are a young group that meets in the middle of the city of Boston, made up of lots of transient folks from all around the country who've come to Boston for the exciting education and workforce. And they're not going to be around with us a long time. And our age demographics, probably median age of 23 to 25. Staff is going to be made up of this. Our leadership structure and our governance structure is this. Thank you, you know, nod. And then everyone takes turns raising their hands. I think I was like fourth or fifth to go that day. And most of the time it was like really encouraging questions because it's like, that's the, uh, yeah, we're not really here tweaking. These are fake presentation. But my comments were really mean. You would, think, you would hope that everyone at seminary were nice. They were mean. They all start to doubt Cornerstone in church planting class, in seminary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, how can a church survive with average age 22 to 25 who's going to pay the bills uh, uh, oh yeah, uh, the, the senior pastor is, is mid 30s that's too young and your leadership team is all younger than him his boss is younger than him uh, you said that it's transient is it transient on all levels or do even the top leaders change every year you, so you guys are paying high rent in Boston you're made up of a bunch of young people who don't have a lot of money to tithe, and they could increase your rent on you at any moment? And I just stood there looking around like, uh, can I just sit down now? Like, they all doubted it. And I get it. Their concerns are fair. Their concerns that all of us have had probably, and people have had for almost 20 years now. But what do all these concerns point to? They point to us thinking that the core of the church is the business side, the structure side, the organizational side. And they were all wrong. They were all wrong. Because the core of the church is God's love for his bride and that love being manifest through his people. And man, I would love to bring all those classmates in and to have them see what has happened amongst these people here. And for people to see and behold and witness and then tell me that we don't have a church here. That's going to make it. And not just make it, but thrive. Not scrape by, but transform lives. Start families. Have family members move away and recommend to their next family members who are coming to Boston, you've got to go there. And for year after year after year for us to continue to press on. And then a global pandemic to blow up the whole world, shut down a lot of churches, and we're still here. How come all the old people churches with lots of money closed? I thought you needed old people who have money to make the church keep going. How come the churches closed that have senior pastors who are 
in their 60s that have decades of, of ministry? How come the church is closed that have their own buildings? And we've been homeless since day one. Because the church is not built on any of those things. It's built on the people whose singular commonality is their love for Jesus, their love for each other, and then manifesting that love through fulfilling their ministry and doing everything, every effort to fight for unity. Church, I want to ask all of you to join me and also help me because I need help too in staying in reflection mode as we continue to go through transition here. I want to ask you to do and also help me to fulfill our ministry and fight for unity. And through the power of the gospel of Jesus, I want to ask all of us, let's be the common denominator for this generation. Let's pray together now. Holy Spirit, we come humbly before you and ask of you to do with us as you please because this is your church. Heavenly Father, this is your bride that you love more than any of us ever could. And we look backwards first to see how Cornerstone has been a spiritual home and family thousands over the years who are scattered around the country and world and how you have used this little church, this bride of yours to advance your kingdom, to magnify and glorify your name, to impact and change the world for your glory. And so we want to look forward expecting the same to continue, but not as just observers watching but as participants, as leaders, as major actors and players in that story. So Holy Spirit, cause us, challenge us, move us to fulfill our ministries and to fight for unity. Let us be that common denominator standing upon you, the ultimate one. And would it all be to your glory and yours alone. So we open up our hearts to you. We trust you with everything. We know you are perfectly good. There is not one atom of, of error within you. You are only good and only perfect. And you are our shepherd who will continue to lead us on. And so with humble and open hearts, we are ready to follow. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.